Alright, what's up guys? Welcome in to today's episode of the Southeast Super Podcast. It is Monday, July the 31st, 2017, and as usual, a couple topics on my mind within the world of SEC basketball, and let's start off with the column that I released this morning on SoutheastTubes.com, and there has been a tremendous amount of feedback to that thus far, and as I always say, not only I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast, you know, as we try to do this daily now, uh, but also just appreciate you reading all the written work, which will continue to expand over at southeasthoops.com as we get closer to the start of the season. And just really received a, a ton of feedback thus far. It really has overwhelmed me in a sense that, you know, I know you guys are into SEC basketball, but I think this continues to show just how into it everyone is and how highly anticipated this season is going to be. I mean, I've heard from coaches, I've heard from media people, I've heard from fans. Uh, and really gotten great feedback all the way around. So always appreciate your support on that. Uh, and like I said, there will be a lot more written stuff coming as well, in addition to these podcasts that we do to try to create the, the ultimate SEC basketball experience uh, within Southeast Tubes. So be sure that you bookmark southeasttubes.com. Be sure to obviously subscribe to the podcast and all that so that you're not missing anything that we have coming up. Uh, will continue to expand in a lot of different ways over at southeasthoops.com. So be sure uh, to stay tuned for that as I'll have more details coming on that kind of stuff here over the next several months. So moving on to another set of SEC basketball power rankings that were released. Uh, I've continued to talk about mine and how they will be coming soon enough over at southeasthoops.com. And they will be in the style that you guys come to expect when we talk about these very lengthy, detailed columns uh, I will not only give you reasons why I think you know Team A will finish at whatever number, but also give you reasons why they could completely prove me wrong and really outperform that ranking. So uh, we'll be very in detailed, very just kind of in depth on a lot of different things about where these teams could land. Um, and again, I, my my thing isn't to be the first; it's to be the best, and that is what we're doing here in kind of compiling all this information and really trying to figure out the best place to slot all these teams. But like I talked about in the column this morning, and kind of like Bruce Pearl said, was that you could really go beyond, I think, four or five here, and you could slot teams in a lot of different places. There's really a lot of unknowns just because of how competitive it is going to be from top to bottom. But that is nothing new to you guys who have listened to this before. But like I mentioned a minute ago, uh, there was someone else on the national level to put out their SEC offseason power rankings, and that was John Rothstein over at FanRag Sports, also obviously does work at CBS. And John's power rankings go like this. Kentucky at 1, Florida at 2, Texas A&M at 3, Alabama at 4, Auburn at 5, Ole Miss 6, Vanderbilt 7, Missouri 8, Arkansas 9, Mississippi State 10, Tennessee 11, Georgia 12, South Carolina 13, and LSU at 14. Now, you know, again, like I talked about with Matt Norlander's power rankings over at CBS, there are going to be people that pick this apart and say, hey, well, this team shouldn't be this high, this team shouldn't be this low, uh, and you're always going to get that with power rankings. And I think when you look at the initial set of, of Rothstein's power rankings, to be honest, there's not a lot that really jumps out at me. I mean, like I said before, you could take teams in that 5-14 to 14 and mix them around you know, and, I, and again, I continue to say this. I know people think that LSU is an absolute lock at the bottom of this conference, 
But I've said it time and time again, I don't think that's the case. I think when you factor in the playing style, when you factor in sort of, you know, Will Wade reinvigorating that program with talent. I mean, we talk about the young guys that cop coming in, the transfer coming in and Jeremy Combs. Uh, I just don't think, you know, you can just look at this easily and say LSU is the guaranteed bet at the bottom of the SEC. Uh, but looking at the rest of, of Rothstein's power rings again, I mean, you, you see the usual suspects there in the top four, which I think you'll see most people have, um, and that's Kentucky at one, Florida at two, Texas A&M three, Alabama four. Those four teams in, in what could be different orders for a lot of people. And, you know, I, you guys already know I've talked about this. Those are the top four teams in the SEC, in my opinion. It's just a matter of where do you place them uh, at this point. And I have definitely gone back and forth on that, and some of the changes I've made may, in fact, surprise some people once I release those power rankings. But, you know, I think clearly those are probably your top four teams. Uh, Beyond that, again, there are a lot of different ways you could go uh, and kind of picking, you know, who who could land where. And I know Missouri fans will look at this and say they'll see them at eighth. And, you know, I don't know if that's factoring in Jonte Porter, uh, who is likely to reclassify for the 2017 class, according to most people. Um, you know, if that is the case, will Missouri be an eighth place team? I don't know about that. I mean, I think that's something there. A lot of people are still looking at Missouri and wondering if they should take the wait and see approach to see how everything comes together. Uh, but look, they do have the best freshman in the country in Michael Porter Jr. And like I said, if they add his brother to that, you add the guys who are coming back, a lot of good pieces in place, a very long and athletic team with Missouri. Uh, I talked about it in the column this morning. You know, if they add Jonte Porter, they're going to have five players on that roster at 6'10 or taller. Uh, so Missouri, another team that will, will probably be that team as we see more power rankings come out once I release mine. Uh, it will be that team that everybody's going to look at and say, boy, this is one of the most interesting teams in terms of where do we think they could factor in, you know, could they be a top two or three team in the SEC, or are they going to be in that middle of the pack uh, and maybe have too much to overcome when you think about where they were, uh, you know, anywhere from four or five months ago at this point. So so that's his power rankings. I mean, you look at that, like I said, we're seeing a lot of different people, and it's the most interesting part to me is, and it kind of backs up what we're talking about when it comes to, you know, the, the dynamic of this SEC season, is that you're seeing different teams in different spots for, for, for all sorts of rankings around the country. Uh, from the national perspective, and then obviously, you know, other people as they start releasing their off-season rankings, uh, you're just going to see a lot of people in a lot of different places uh, just because there, there are so many teams that, that are that close together, and there is just so little room for error, especially now in the SEC season. And that's where we go into the season and think about things like, you know, how are injuries going to factor in uh, because, boy, you just can't really afford to be even, you know, off on any night in the SEC at this point. Uh, it's going to be one of those kind of seasons where you're going to have to be on each and every game in the conference slate, no matter where you're playing at, no matter who you're playing. Uh, that has that kind of feel to what this SEC season can turn out to be. And then kind of going beyond uh, his power rankings, you know, he had Michael Porter Jr. as the preseason player of the year. Uh, I don't think that will be something that's going to be, you know, a lot of people are not going to scoff at that because certainly when we talk about a guy that's going to make an impact like he will, uh, he's definitely going to be in the mix. There's no doubt about it. And then, um, you know, another thing I wanted to touch on in his article, he had his SEC preseason sleeper as Ole Miss. And, and, you know, that gives me a chance to talk a little bit more about the Rebels because we've talked about Ole Miss for a while now this offseason. We've talked about him in the podcast in written form. 
in other ways, but Ole Miss has one of the deepest backcourts of any team in the SEC. Uh, when you think about all the different pieces they have coming back, we're talking about DeAndre Burnett coming back, their leading scorer. Um, you get a guy like Terrence Davis, who I've talked about, who I think is not only one of the most underrated players in the SEC, one of the most underrated players in the country, and thinking about the kind of breakout year he could have there in Oxford. And going beyond that, Brian Tyree, a guy who I touched on in today's column, um, just talking about how Andy Kennedy really has loved what he's seen thus far this offseason from him and thinks he's going to be a really one of those guys, maybe like Davis, who took that big leap forward uh, last season. Tyree could be that guy this season. And then again, we can't forget about Markel Crawford coming over from Memphis, a guy who averaged double figures uh, and is going to provide them a boost right away. So when you think about that nucleus at guard, Ole Miss is absolutely loaded, and you could put that guard lineup against any guard lineup in the SEC, and you'd like your chances, I think, if you're Andy Kennedy, because there's just so much athleticism, there's a lot of scoring ability, uh, and really all the fastest that you need in terms of guard play on that team. Now, the questions for Ole Miss are going to be in the front court, and that's going to start with how do they replace Sebastian Saiz, and that's really going to be the main thing we look around and say, okay, is Ole Miss going to have enough in the front court to be able to replace everything that he brought to the table as a double-double guy pretty much every single night? You could count on that from Saiz. And that's where we talk about guys coming in like a Dominic Olenicek that's going to really have to come in. The, the Drake transfer, I mean, he's a guy that they are certainly going to expect production from right away, and he's going to be a guy that tries to fill that void there in the middle. If he can do that, I mean, again, you're talking about a guy – that certainly could have the tools to do that. When we think about, I mean, here's a seven-foot guy who's going to be able to come in, give them at least a physical presence in there, and again, we talk about with that kind of height, uh, to be able to to really make an impact on the defensive end of the floor uh, because of his size. Now, what are they going to get in other areas of the game? And I think that's where Ole Miss is really going to come down to that. If Ole Miss can make that push to get into that, you know, top six, top seven of the SEC, be an NCAA tournament team potentially, they're going to have to have that production in the front court because we always talk about that. When you lose a player like Saiz, who, who not only was such a big part of the puzzle on the floor, but you think about a guy with that kind of leadership off the court, all that kind of stuff, you do wonder, uh, you know, what what's going to need to happen to kind of pick up where he left off, and that's where right now with Ole Miss, that's what we're going to wait and see uh, to kind of see how the season can go for them. But I would happen to agree. You know, I think they're certainly among one of those teams that you could label as a sleeper, uh, probably like you could several teams in the SEC right now uh, because Ole Miss does have a backcourt that is just absolutely loaded, and they are going to be able to, to run up and down the floor with anybody in the, in the SEC uh, and it's going to give them a chance to, to win. And, and defense as well. Defense is another area uh, for the Rebels. I think that they're going to have to be sure to play consistently on that end of the floor uh, because there were times last season where that did not happen uh, on the defensive end of the floor. And so that's going to be the key to success as well. Just really getting that presence in the front court. When we talk about a guy like Olenicek in there and having that defensive presence really all the way around for Ole Miss uh, is going to be very important. So. I'll put the link to Rothstein's article on the podcast article that I always put for each of these episodes. You can check that out if you haven't already. Uh, a lot of stuff in there. You know, we've, we've talked about this offseason, a lot of the stuff within the article, uh, but it is interesting to see, like I always say, get other people's perspectives, especially from a national perspective, like I talked about in the column this morning 
you know, it's just always interesting to see kind of the view from the outside uh, from a national level. And we're starting to see more national sort of recognition for SEC basketball. And like I also mentioned, we're starting to see more of that on a local level as well in talking about all the anticipation for this upcoming season. And that in and of itself is very good to see because as you know, and I've been kind of putting it out there for a year now, is that this was kind of what we expected. And this is something I've been talking about for a year, that the breakthrough was coming, and it was just a matter of kind of getting those results that we saw in the NCAA tournament where you get three teams to the Elite Eight, and now uh, really all the the talent coming into the league this year, which I would definitely suggest you check out that part of the article if you haven't already, uh, talking about all the sort of top 100 players, the former top 100 players that are going to be on the court this season in the SEC Uh, And that's going to make for a very, very exciting season. So be sure to do that. And again, uh, thanks as always for listening to this podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed by going over to iTunes, your podcast app, whatever you use. Just search for Southeast Hoops. You can subscribe. And that way you can you can listen to this and you can be sure to keep up with all things SEC basketball. And if you haven't already, as I mentioned several times in this episode, go back through uh, go to southeastoops.com, check out the column from this morning, uh, and, and really just kind of digest all the things in there uh, with a lot of different topics. Like I said, I'm talking about overseas trips, uh, J.J. Caldwell, who I've talked about a lot this offseason, uh, players that are flying under the radar on each team. I mean, there's a lot of good players in there. And just talking about, and these are guys that are kind of flying under the radar on how good some of these guys are. Uh, we also touched on some intriguing questions and then the coaching talent. Uh, just how much you know depth there is at coaching in this league right now uh, is pretty outstanding. So uh, thanks as always for listening to the podcast, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow.